The Cincinnati Bengals offense and defense evolved schematically in 2022, and that's a big reason they had the success they did. We'll talk about what they can do to improve and continue that in 2023. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by Max Toscano. He writes for And the Valley Shook, has a lot of experience in football. We'll let him tell you a little bit more about where he's got his football expertise and where that came from. And today, we're going to dive into the Bengals schematic evolution in 2022, how that facilitated things for Joe Burrow, how he improved last year, and how they can take the next step in 2023 as they try to get over that Super Bowl hump. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Of course, you can get this show free on YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to make it easy to become a first listener. Join that first listen club. Make us your first listen every day. We appreciate all of you who do that. and Become an everydayer and make sure you don't miss an episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast as we get into off-season mode and we're going to Probably have a few more guests than normal. Max, welcome to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Great to have you here. Let's start with just a little bit of your football background before we dive into things too much so people know who you are, a little bit about how you came up in the football world. Yeah, um, well, it, it really sort of started when I was uh, earlier in high school. I stopped playing um, around when middle school ended because the school I went to didn't have football. Um but, you know, I really, really still enjoyed the game. Um, so I just, you know, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of, you know, just heavy research into the sort of uh, intricacies of the game. Um, and I always just wanted to learn more. And, and and so that sort of took me to start writing for And the Valley Shook um, around 2020, right after Joe Burrow had left. Um, and, and, and so that was where I was sort of able to build a little bit of um, a platform um, as well as sort of uh, continue to develop my knowledge. Uh, and I was able to, um, you know, get in with the uh, the staff up at UConn um, for an internship opportunity last uh, last season where I was working with the defensive staff um, during the week uh, and on game days uh, doing some analytics stuff uh, on the sideline, which was really, really cool. Um, and and it's, just, it's just been a really, really good way for me to, uh, you know, kind of pursue the the curiosity i have for the game and max you wrote a really in-depth article on in the valley shook uh, about the Bengals, uh, like a full season film review and i i know that was right up jake's alley i, I think either he talked to you before or after it but uh, i checked it out last night and and there's a lot of things that i, I think we're going to ask you about but let's start with with joe burrow one of the takeaways from this offseason program that Jake saw from all the way in Canada, just on clips. But I certainly noticed was just the, the amount of play action that they were working on, especially during the OTA period. I didn't see it as much during minicamp last week, but during the OTA period, how would that benefit this Bengals offense or would it benefit the, this Bengals offense? If, if Joe Burrow would be more comfortable in play action, if they would rely on play action a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it would be really big. Uh, and, and I think that, 
Uh, I don't know how much they necessarily need it because I do think that what they were doing at the end of last year is 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 fine. It's good. It's it's really good, uh, and it certainly makes sense. But I think that the one you know shortcoming the Bengals have at the moment is that it's difficult for the for them to create you know really really explosive plays just because of how they're defended. Um, and that's not to say that they aren't an explosive offense. They is you know that's the case because of how explosive they are, um, and because defenses are so afraid of them hitting, you know, balls down the sideline for 50 that they design their entire game plans around stopping that. Um, but, you know, you do need to keep defenses honest. It's always, you know, a game of cat and mouse, give and take, um, and adjusting to the adjustments. So I think that it's, it's, you know, really sort of that final infinity stone, I think, for the Bengals offense to be able to force teams out of those looks and, you know, make them make that, you know, impossible choice between getting gashed on the ground um, and, you know, setting up stuff in the play action game. So I think if they can sort of create that little bit of sequencing between, you know, the run game and play action, um, not necessarily to say that you have to, you know, establish the run and do all that to run play action because uh, you know I think the data is pretty clear on that but at the same time they do need to force teams to put that extra guy in the box and create those one-on-ones on the outside if they want to create explosive plays now if they want to go into the year do what they did over the last you know half of the year and really just punish those you know those looks with 10 to 20 yard stuff over and over and over that that's going to work in a lot of situations but I think the problem with that is that, you know, I'm not worried about too high coverages. I'm worried about too high shells. And the difference is that the coverage is what you actually do after the snap, and the shell is what you come out and align in. So if you're in a too high shell, you can really shift into pretty much anything out of that. So what the problem with that is that the Bengals can't key in when they say rotate to cover three or rotate to man and say we're just going to call one of our explosive shot plays because they don't know when it's coming because they're able to disguise it out of those looks. So what, you know, forcing them to load the box will do is get rid of that deception and allow the Bengals play callers to key in on when they get those one-on-ones on the outside so that they can take them. And I think that just statistically getting those explosive plays back um, is a big deal. Uh, so, and, and, Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to ask, what did they do last year? You you said you mentioned that they changed quite a bit, right? They went to this full shotgun game. They stopped stopped having the unrelated, wasn't a a criticism, uh, under center versus shotgun game a lot of the time where how they were aligning was dictating what they were doing quite a bit. They went to a big shotgun game last year. How did that help, and, and what do you think the next step is? Is it that they have to get back under center and Joe Burrow has to get more comfortable turning his back to the line of scrimmage, which is a criticism of this game? Or is it something that they can continue to do from being almost entirely a shotgun team? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, I think, you know, interesting and depends on a lot of different factors. I think so what they did last year, like you said, is they really went, you know, full full gun. We do everything from the gun, we're going. Our entire run game is from the gun. Our entire dropback game is from the gun. We don't really run that much play action, um, but like, it it works because, or at least certainly worked last year because a lot of the teams would just play coverages like Tampa two and quarters so that they can keep two safeties deep to deal with any of the vertical stuff, um, which especially cover two, which allows you to 
cap both of the outside routes with a safety. Um, and as a result, like that cleared up a lot of space in the middle of the field in the intermediate middle, uh, which they would just, you know, isolate those second level defenders and put them in conflict and just, you know, work those windows over and over and over and over for, you know, like I said earlier, a little bit, zero to 20 yards, just play after play. Um, and it, it works. It does. Like if you're going to get, if you're going to get as much cover two as they got, you can do that pretty much forever. The problem I have is when I was watching the Ravens games at the end of the year, um, is that what Mike McDonald would do is he would come out in the same two high shell every single snap, but a lot of times he would rotate to cover three. And what that does is it gets four players in the underneath and intermediate windows instead of three, um, which you have in quarters or two with a big void in the middle because of the middle guy in Tampa too. Um, So the issue I sort of had with that is that like, I couldn't tell before the snap when they were going to rotate into that or when they were going to play cover two, when they were going to play cover six, which is, you know, cover two and quarters in a mix. Um, And as a result, like the Bengals didn't either. So they were calling their, their offense, you know, to beat cover two, which they had seen all year over and over. Um, But they were able to sort of take away the sort of the automatic um, stuff in the underneath windows uh, and sort of make it a little difficult and put you back behind the sticks, um, which is tough because then the pass rush can tee off a little bit. And, and he, as good as Joe Burrow is in obvious passing situations and as improved as the line should be, you never want to be in third and 10. You just, you've, you, you're losing if you're in third and 10 a lot. Um, so I think that preventing that deception is the, is the key going forward for the Bengals. But I, I don't know if the answer yet is to go back under center and start running the ball and set up play actions. I don't really think they have the players for it um, because they only have one tight end and he's 6'2", 240. Uh, so yeah. I think that they may need to just – they. I think they may need to really get good at, at running out of the gun. And I think that that may involve – which something that I don't think is actually a good idea, but schematically makes sense, which is using Joe Burrow's legs a little bit more to steal an extra number or more realistically diversifying the hell out of their RPO game so that they can, you know, try to steal numbers that way. Um, Because you look at the 11 personnel run teams, which is one tight end, uh, one running back, three receivers, like the Eagles, that's sort of how they do it. It was it's just with a g- good offensive line, using the quarterback, and a ton of RPOs. Let's talk more about that. You mentioned the tight ends. That was something that you hit on in your film review as well. And uh, this was obviously after the season, before the roster had settled a bit. So we will uh, continue our conversation about the offense next right here on Locked on Bengals. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. And look, the Reds, well, they've been really really interesting over the past couple of weeks from matt mcclain to ellie de la cruz so maybe you want to wager on them maybe you want to get in on action all across major league baseball or look ahead 
to future NFL bets. You can do all of those things and so much more right now at FanDuel. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. So the Bengals add Irv Smith, and he'll take the Hayden Hurst role. There's not much depth at the tight end position, although they will use Drew Sample. In split-back situations from time to time, they'll use two tight ends from time to time in obvious running situations, and we might see some of that. We might not even see Irv Smith on the field in those situations with Devin Asiasi, the third tight end on the roster right now. But we talked about stealing a guy. Joe Burrow will run the ball a little bit. We obviously saw that last year, especially as the year went on. There was a little bit more running in Joe Burrow's game and, and planned running or audible running, hot, hot read kind of running when there was wide open a gaps, for example, he would, he would call his own number with the QB draw, but you also mentioned RPOs. And that's another thing that we noticed watching the clips out of, out of mini camp and out of the OTA program play action and, and some RPO work was, was getting drilled quite a bit. I would say, what does that next step look like for the Bengals in that regard? in that regard to turn up the efficiency or find some explosive plays if they don't change their scheme wholesale around Joe Burrow in 2023. Yeah. I mean, just, just adding routes um, to your run schemes is a good way to just to steal an extra number. And so what I mean by that is in your RPOs, you, you read a guy. And if that guy collapses into the run fit, you pull and you throw. And if he slow plays it um, and stays out of the fit, you, you give. And as a result, he's going to be either late or completely out of the run fit altogether, which starts to even the numbers back toward what you would get if you had more bodies in the blocking scheme. Now, in college, there are, there are robust run games built entirely out of 11 personnel where teams never need a second back or a fullback to create you know, that diversity because they just put three guys in the pass concept on all of their run plays uh, because you get your six blockers and you got your three receivers. And so what that does is it makes defenses kind of defend a little bit of an abridged quick game concept as well, which makes them dictate numbers elsewhere. Uh, And it's really good against too high stuff because um, those overhang defenders, those outside linebackers who are sort of between the slot receiver and the, um, and the, the actual formation are in a lot of conflict. Um, But like if, there's a whole bunch of stuff you could do. And I think if you watch the dolphins uh, at the NFL level, you watch the Eagles, they package all different kinds of, you know, there's, they package like a slant flat or, you know, the dolphins do with that cool slice post wheel thing that they run all the time. Um, That if you just turn on like a clip of their RPOs, you'll see it a hundred times and know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, You can run, uh, you know, these these eight-step glances from the X receiver, which LSU did a lot. And, and it, ironically enough, they can get a lot of what they need just by turning on the Joe Brady, Steven Springer tape from Burrow's uh, senior year with Chase. Um, and, like, you look at I, – I would suggest fans go watch the Oklahoma game hmm. um, for a lot of that because they were just throwing RPO after uh, RPO to Jefferson. Um against Oklahoma. So there's just a lot of different stuff that you can do to conflict those second level defenders so that your six blockers are no longer as much of a mathematical limitation. And I think that if the Bengals are going to live in 11, which they pretty much have to at this point for 
just based on how their personnel is. And again, it's hard to justify taking Tyler Boyd off the field for Drew Sample. I get it. Um, that's what they're going to need to do. And the, I, they know that. I mean, it's clear. I think that based on what we're seeing and based on the fact that, you know, they added some, started to add some at the end of last year, I think they're aware. I'm just curious, who were you hoping they did add this offseason, tight ends wise? To, to get to that 12 personnel package. And you can list them, draft guys, yeah. free agents. Just go ahead, because I'm sure our listeners are curious. Well, my number one for, well, for a while is really banging the Darnell Washington drum just because he's such a good 11 personnel guy because sure. he really is like an extra offensive lineman. Um, uh, but I sort of started to shift a little bit toward Tucker Kraft, who is a, who's raw, but is a big body, um, who is athletic enough to kind of do everything and can be molded into that kind of, you know, super versatile George Kittle type who is a road grader in the run game, but also a weapon in your pass game, which I don't mm-hmm. think George, uh, I almost called him George Washington. Um, Darnell Washington can, uh, George Washington definitely can't do it, but Darnell Washington can't really be that guy. I just don't think he has the short area quickness. Um, I think he's a great player, but still. Uh, and so I, I, I wanted one of those two guys in the draft, uh, Luke Schoonmaker later, just as a, you know, sort of a, a diet Darnell Washington, I think, um, as a blocker and as a, a secondary option. Uh, but in free agency, I really wanted Foster Moreau. Um, yeah. A, he recruited Joe Burrow to LSU. Uh, they know each other. They're they're boys. Um, he, but he's a he's so athletic. He's a good blocker. He's really primed to break out. I think um, even with the fact, even with his cancer, that he's you know, apparently is kicking its ass like pretty, pretty handily right now, which is awesome. Um, but like the LSU connection, the scheme fit, the fact that he can kind of do a little bit of everything, like he can add a little bit more as a blocker that Hurst couldn't, which would really boost the run game a lot. Um, and I don't think he's much worse as a receiver. I wanted him so bad. Um, but, gotcha. you know, I'm, I'm glad he, uh, I'm, I guess I'm glad he went to the Saints because they caught his, uh, his thing in their medical um and he's he's you know where he wants to be at home in louisiana but still oh i wanted i wanted him <laughs> but like yeah, yeah. no i i, I got gotcha. you i think um i think that's one of the questions that that going into this year depending we're, we'll get an up close look at darnell washington but how this tight mm-hmm. end class does in general because it didn't really fall to the bengals like washington's the only one that to me you could have argued unless you mean unless you mean to to take Laporta right at twenty eight because it just didn't yeah. fall their way, and, and so that's going to be one of those things that in a couple of years, maybe even next year, we look at like, man, that's the class they should have gotten a tight end, or maybe not. Maybe maybe yeah. it maybe it works out with Irv Smith Jr. and they go this year yeah. by year situation. I'm not really actually criticizing their process though because I sure I yeah. I'm glad they did not reach. Um, I'm glad that they played the long game and tried to sort of get young, cheap, and deep on defense in anticipation of an offensive cap crunch. Like this, like this is how you build a team. I, it, this is how you survive and contend year over year with an expensive quarterback and a couple of expensive receivers. So above all, I mean, like the thing about tight ends, uh, the dirty secret about tight ends is that you can actually find them um, to fit your roles. I mean, like guys, I, yeah. like you look at, to me, one of the ideal 12 personnel teams in the NFL, the Seahawks, with Noah Fant and Will Disley, although they all throw Colby Parkinson, who I love, in there for 13 personnel. And those guys, you can find those guys. Um, don't 
don't force it at the expense of your team. So I'm, I, I do want to commend them for it. Um, I think this was the class to get a game breaker at tight end, but I do question the need for that. I just think they are as far considering the resources it'll always take to get a guy like that usually. Um, but I do think that they need a little bit more in terms of versatility um, than a guy like Irv Smith, who is a good, you know, player in space, good receiver, but I, he's the guy you put on the field, in my opinion, when you, you take the the slot receiver off and you want to have a move guy in accordance with your, or in conjunction with your inline blocker. Uh, and can they do that with him and sample? Probably. Um, will they get criticized for it? Sure. Will it work? Depends on what they do. But I, I did want a little bit more depth, versatility, and sort of options. Yeah, and the Bengals' approach to that position seemed to be, let's get the dynamic playmaker and put all the faith in the world, I guess, in Devin Asiasi and Drew Sample to play in line and, and see where they go from there. Because, like you said, they seem to want to continue to live in 11 personnel. They want to get more receivers out into routes. That's something that Joe Burrow's always thrived with. That's mm-hmm. why they love to go empty and probably will continue to do so to some degree. Let's wrap up the show with a little bit more on the defense. You talked about the way they're team building. I think that that is a really good segue into what's coming on defense with that cap crunch. And I want to really quickly get your final takeaways on offense to put a bow on that as well. We'll do that coming up next. All right, let's keep things rolling. Jake, you wanted to get his final takeaways on offense? Yeah, let's put a bow on the offense, Max. If you were to come out of 2022 the direction of the NFL, the current composition of the Bengals roster in 2023 with one high level, like this is what they should be going toward in 2023. What would your top piece of advice be to kind of wrap up what we've talked about so far? Yeah, I think for them, um, as they're currently constructed, I, I just think it's their, I think, look, they should, you know, keep an eye out for cuts as far as, um, tight ends go potentially or maybe some some cheap trades uh but at the same time like as they're currently constructed i think the big things they need to do um are you know like i said earlier diversify and you know live on the rpo uh maybe teach the receivers to block a little bit like teach you know get t higgins with his big frame and long arms digging out nickels in those three by one bunches so that you can run duo from 11, like 2019 LSU did a lot because Jefferson and Marshall were great blockers. Um, But I think as it stands, yes, the NFL is shifting away from the spread and shifting toward that sort of fluid personnel fluidity, whether that's, you know, versatile fullbacks, versatile second tight ends or receivers who can block. Um, I think the Bengals are in position to stay the course a little bit and actually be fine um, because of just how good Joe Burrow is as a, a West coast, you know, quick and intermediate quarterback that like, if you're going to play cover two in quarters a lot, you're going to, you're really going to get hurt. Just, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Um, and so as a result, like, I think there are going to be teams that aren't going to be, I think most teams aren't going to be quite as clever and able as Mike McDonald is to really disguise and hide his coverages. And I think most teams are going to continue to just get ripped apart by their, their spread out pass game. And I think that the addition of the RPO a little bit more, as well as the improvement of the offensive line, I think Orlando Brown is a great addition to 
you know, get downhill and run the football. And I think that that helps you a lot. Um, so I think that they can, I really do think that they can stay the course and still be legit contenders. I, but um, I think with an eye toward the future, I think they should get on the, the sort of positionless flex personnel wave. But as it stands right now, I mean, like, it, it is hard not to be optimistic, especially when you have, I mean, like, if you have a top two, three quarterback and two superstar receivers, it is just hard not to be really good. Let's switch gears and, and talk about the defense, which is hilarious to our listeners, the fact that I want to talk about the defense. But uh, let's go there now. Um, there's obviously some new faces on the back end. That safety room is completely revamped. If you had to guess, Max, how, how different is Luana Rumo's defense this year? What tweaks do you think he'll make given the, the personnel that he has now on the back end? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the communication, I think it's, I, I think the big differences are just going to be in how they in are in how they sort of operate their play calling procedure um, and how they handle communication, how they handle, you know, these sort of uh, assignment responsibilities because they really ran through Von Bell a lot uh, last year. And I think that um, depending on how they can get Nick Scott up to speed, I mean, Nick Scott's a vet, like he's, you know, there's no reason to believe he can't handle it, but you still he's still learning a new defense. And I think that if he can really do that, then it runs through him and things don't change too, too much. Um, but I think that that's, that's the big thing they have to figure out. And that's something that is hard to see on tape um, and hard to, it, and hard to really see how it impacts the game necessarily, because like, it's just, but it is a big thing in the room that they got to get figured out. Um, but on the back end, I think that, I think that they're, I think that they're, in honestly quietly in a little bit of better shape than they were just because I think they are so much better at corner. Um, and I think they're going to be able to play a little bit more man um, than they have, which allows them to do a little bit more upfront in terms of sending pressure and creating pressure. You know, you can really squeeze those, those quick game quarterbacks and take away what they want to do in the underneath windows. Uh, and like, I'm really looking at the Browns with that because they have, three super quick gamey receivers with like Elijah Moore and um and you know Amari Cooper being these like possession change of direction underneath kind of guys so you can really squeeze that uh, and heat quarterbacks up a little bit more um but the safeties I think the responsibilities mentally are going to be a little bit um a little bit easier but broadly I don't think I mean it's it's hard to ch- it's hard if you're the Bengals to necessarily change because they do everything they, they, you know, they, they're a chameleon. It's, they're, they're always changing. And really it's what quarterback they're playing. What offense are they playing? What answer do they think they have that week? Do they have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes? Who's great at sack avoidance. Who's great at extending plays where they want to slow the processing down and, and make him force the ball into a window or check it down and, and live to play another day, which they love to do dropping eight against Patrick Mahomes, but they have three major free agents or, or players in their last year of their deal, and maybe some extensions get done before the season, but DJ Reader, Logan Wilson, Chidobe Awuzie, who looks fantastic on his recovery from the ACL, which we've talked about nonstop on this podcast for the last week. Do you see those guys as integral to this defense? Is there a priority there that, you know, if, if you're making decisions for this Bengals front office and you're looking at all the money that's going to be spent on offense, you know that you're investing draft picks into the, into the defense to have some cheaper, younger redundancy there. Are, are any of those guys like we have to make sure we, we keep this guy because he's making this defense go? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because this is just the, the reality of a salary cap league. Um, but, like, you really want to say DJ Reader for this because it's obvious. I mean, he is your best run defender. He opens up so much as far as flexibility in, you know, how you fit the run um, because, like, you can play down a gap a lot because he can, he, he can occupy a lot of space, deal with, you know, two gaps, occupy doubles and just eat space. But he's also a pretty good penetrator when you get into the one gap stuff because he's just so explosive. Um, so he is really the big cog in the, you know, interior D-line, which really has ripple effects across the structure mm-hmm. of your defense. But he's going to be pretty expensive and he's 28. Um, and guys like that, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard when you're, you know, that physically just – imposing and carrying that much you know body mass to stay healthy into your 30s um so i the reality of that is that they're probably going to have to let that go just just financially um because that could be a bad contract quickly if he ages um logan wilson i love i mean i love inside linebackers i love inside linebackers who can handle their responsibilities who do a really good job squeezing the intermediate windows in the pass game and he and pratt together are just so good at it um like they're just they're they're dropping a hook and they're squeezing those digs behind and making the quarterback go underneath and rally to the ball like they are so it's so fun to watch them work together uh and you love a great pair of of inside linebackers um, it's going to be hard to carry two of them. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think it's pretty clear they're either going to keep none of the three or one of the three. And I think that the cheapest will probably be Wilson, cheapest and youngest will probably be Wilson at that point um, of them in a Wouzier. And I think that you draft DJ Turner to replace a Wouzier. So I think that they, they, I think they've almost made their decision. Yeah, it looks like they've drafted for the future, barring unforeseen little extensions, perhaps. And how Miles Murphy fits into this puzzle as well will be interesting. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about can they get all those pass rushers on the field at once, those NASCAR packages. It's going to be fun to see what kind of different units, different situational sub packages. Lou Anarumo rolls out there in some of those true passing situations. I know you're excited for that as well, Max, but that's going to do it for this episode of the locked on Bengals podcast. Hope you all had a, a nice father's day, depending on when you're listening to this episode. And you can find Max on Twitter at Max Toscano one. You can find his work on and the Valley And I retweeted his Bengals offensive film review at some point when he published it, which was what back in May, April, April 10th. Yeah. A little bit. Ago. Uh, I'll make sure I tweet that out again because it's fantastic. Really good stuff for you guys. If you're interested in the ins and outs of the Bengals offense and and what they did in 2022, really in-depth stuff there for Max. So we appreciate it, Max. Thanks for joining us and and giving that breakdown. And we're back this week with more off-season content, more on what to expect from training camp, what to expect from this team going forward. So until next time, Bengals fans, hootay. And have a good one.